Let's read Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And now we're going to read Micah chapter 5, verses 2 to 5a. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return and join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. Good morning. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be gathered with you all this morning. Um, for those who don't know me, I am Ben. I am a member here at Grace Church. Um, but for those of you who do know me, you might know that I'm quite into music. Uh, if you spend any time in the passenger seat of my car, you'd probably be aware of the eclectic CDs which are overspilling from my glove compartment. Um, of which probably my most prized CD would be uh, Grace by Jeff Buckley. The album's a masterpiece, and if you had to push me, I would probably say it's my favorite music album ever. You may know it for its popular cover of the song Hallelujah by Lennon Cohen. Uh, but for me, the album's most standout track has probably got to be Eternal Life, mostly because it's, it's in stark contrast to the rest of the album. It's harsh vocals and backing. Um, it's just really striking. In an interview, Jeff said that the song was inspired by the man who shot Martin Luther King, World War II, and the slaughter in Guyana. And I think this makes sense of the harsh tone of the song, but it also makes sense of some of the lyrics. When I ever, I listen to the song, I, I, I'm particularly drawn to the bridge in which Jeff says so desperately, there's no time for hatred, only questions. Where is love? Where is happiness? What is life? Where is peace? Where is peace? Where is peace in Ukraine, in Afghanistan? Where's peace in family feuds? Where relationships break down? Where is peace from fear, from anxiety? Where is peace? It's a desperate question, and it's one that our, our broken world so longs an answer for. Today we are in our third part of our series as a church, looking to the fruits of the Spirit, and today's focus is, is peace. Um, peace is probably the most desired and yet elusive of all of these fruits listed by Paul in Galatians. But what is peace? Today I would say that we commonly think of peace in, in one of two ways. Either peace with ourselves or, or peace with others. Peace with ourselves is commonly understood as an inner sense of feeling of calm. The rise in popularity of mindfulness and meditation apps 
only points to this deep-seated desire for this kind of peace in our world today. When we think of peace with others, we usually think of it in terms of end to conflict or war. Almost everyone desires for world peace, for nations and people groups that were once at odds with each other to be reconciled. But scripture speaks of a third kind of peace, and that's peace with God. It's something our society often regards as irrelevant, but peace with God, along with peace with ourselves and peace with others, makes up the Christian understanding of peace. That is the peace of God. And it's this peace that Paul says bears fruits in a believer's heart through the Holy Spirit. So today I want us to consider each of these kinds of peace in turn. Peace with God, then peace with ourselves, and then peace with others. So firstly, peace with God. Our first reading today begins with, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. If you are familiar with Romans, you would know that its writer, the Apostle Paul, spends the first part of the letter outlining how the human condition means that all have sinned, that is, we have all done wrong before God. Paul in his letter goes as far to say that we're, we're enemies of God and that we're at war with him. You might say that that's a little extreme. I, I don't think I'm really at war with God. I just don't really bother with him that much. And, and this polite indifference could be reasonable if it wasn't for the fact that God is the creator and judge of the universe. Peter Hitchens, the, the brother of the famous atheist Christopher Hitchens, was recently interviewed by MP Tim Farron for Premier Christianity about his journey to faith. He recalls an experience that he has as an atheist, viewing the painting The Last Judgment by Rogier van der Weyden. Elsewhere, Peter notes that he initially scoffed at the mention of it in the guidebook, but when he came to view this painting, he, he mentions in the interview that he thought, what, what if there is a judgment? Because if there is, I'm certainly not going up the stairs, I'm certainly going down. It took a medieval painting for Peter to acknowledge that he was not at peace with God, if there was one. But for those who are willing to acknowledge, there is great hope. For Paul says that there is peace with God, and it's through Jesus Christ. How is this so? Well, the, the clue is what comes before. So Paul begins the verse by saying, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. He's making reference to the previous section in Romans, which I, I recommend you read in your own time, but in this, Paul says that he goes to great lengths to explain that we, we, we are justified, that is, we're, we're made right with God, and it's only through the, our faith in Jesus, in particular, his death and resurrection. The New Living Translation concludes the previous section in Romans with these words. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Jesus, the Son of God, became human so that he could die as our substitute, to pay the penalty for our wrongdoing by dying the death we deserve. His resurrection confirms that there's nothing left to be paid. And this is how we have peace with God. 
Paul writing to a church in Ephesus put it this way, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Did you hear that? Jesus is our peace. Guys, this is so profound. What does it mean for Jesus to be our peace? Well, as a means of application, I would like us to consider two ways. Firstly, Jesus is our peace because he is the means of our reconciliation with God. In fact, he's the only means by which we can have peace with God. And I recognize that this is not a popular thing to say. If you ever wanted to kill Musa at a dinner party, then just say that. But this is what scripture testifies. And it's what Jesus said himself when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's a big claim. And and if you're exploring the Christian faith, I can recognize this raises a lot of questions. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus for yourself, then I just warmly invite you to either speak to me or Pete or anyone else you've seen at the front today. Um, We would love to listen to you and answer any questions you might have. So Jesus is our peace because... He's our means by which we are reconciled to God. But Jesus is also our peace because he is our sovereign protector. Our second reason today was taken from the prophet Micah. Um, In this passage, Micah is speaking to the nation of Israel about 700 years before Christ, shortly before the nation was overthrown into exile by the Assyrian Empire. The, The threat would have been real and widespread, and no doubt, everyone would be feeling fear to some degree. It's in this context that Micah prophesies of a shepherd king from Bethlehem who will come with greatness that will stretch to the ends of the earth. Micah says that this king's greatness will be such that people would consider him their peace, for by him they would live securely, for his greatness secures their protection. The image of a shepherd king, I think, so wonderfully encapsulates and describes this second aspect of how Jesus is our peace. That is, he he is our sovereign protector. There's a a meekness and majesty to his authority, his power, his protection. Jesus, our shepherd king, the God of the universe, is on our side. What can we fear? And yet we still fear, we still worry. And this brings us to the second point, and that's, that's peace with ourselves. If the opposite of being at peace with God is being at war with him, then the opposite of being at peace with ourselves is worry. Worry robs us of our peace. Corey ten Boom once said that worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strength. Most of us recognize the futility of worry. And for those of us who are Christians, we are aware of the many verses in the Bible that gives us reason not to worry. We know we shouldn't worry when we wholeheartedly affirm that God is sovereign, that he's working all things for the good of those who love him, and that he holds to his promises, and yet we still worry. Why do we do this? Well, speaking for myself, I know that when it comes to worry, I I often experience cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is a theory of social psychology that refers to the mental conflict that occurs when someone's belief and behavior 
do not align. The classic example is of a smoker who fully well knows that smoking is harmful, but still smokes and even justifies it by doubting the research and saying it's inconclusive. I affirm the truths of God that ought to prevent me from worrying, and yet I worry. Often justify my worrying by allowing myself to doubt in my heart. This is my experience, and, and I, I should note that for some, worry or anxiety is a complex mental health issue that is experienced for no fault of their own. But for a lot of us, our worry is voluntary, and it occurs when we allow ourselves to listen to lies about God. Paul says in Ephesians that our struggle is not against flesh or blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. There's a spiritual reality, a battle that cannot be ignored. So if we are to guard ourselves from worry that robs us of our peace, we need to, as Paul says, put on the full armor of God and oppose our doubt with the sword of the Spirit, that is the word of God. Affirming truths about worry in a place, affirming truths about God in a place of worry is a battle. It will be hard, but we have a God who strengthens our spirit for this. We have a God who helps us. This takes us to our second point of application, and that is that Jesus is our peace giver. Jesus, on the last night before his arrest, said this to his disciples. Pete read it earlier. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not live, let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Jesus promises to give us a peace that the world cannot give. That is, there's a transcendental quality to this peace. It's transcendent because of how we receive it. The preceding sentences of these words of peace from Jesus are of Jesus promising the Holy Spirit to come as our comforter. The receiving of Jesus' peace is more than just an acknowledgement that we have peace with God through Jesus, but it's a real and spiritual comfort that we experience through the Holy Spirit. But this peace is also transcendent because it transcends our understanding. Paul writes to Christians in Philippi that do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here Paul is saying that if we want to have peace, we just have to ask for it. We just have to pray. And this applies to all situations, whether big or small. But notice that what's promised here is not deliverance from our troubles, but peace itself. Last week, my housemates and I received an email from our letting agent explaining that our landlord has decided to move back into our property and that we have to vacate our home. My initial response was to consider all the possible options that I have to try to derive a plan that could fit this house move into all the other things that's happening in my life. And it was quite intense and overwhelming and stressful. But as I was writing this sermon this week, I recognize my need to pray for this situation and specifically to ask God for peace. 
And since then, I, I have had peace. Nothing has particularly changed about my external situation. I still got to leave my home in December. But God has given me an internal peace. God doesn't promise us deliverance from our troubles, but he does promise peace. Perhaps why this verse in Philippians feels so far away from us is that we often equate these two things. The peace offered here is transcendent, and it transcends all understanding because we can receive it irrespective of whether our external circumstances really change. So if you're currently experiencing a lack of peace, can I just encourage you to, to keep persevering in prayer? Keep asking Jesus for, for his peace, because he, he will give it. Finally, let's, let's turn to thinking about peace with others. This is probably the kind of peace that Paul has actually had in mind when he wrote to the Galatians and listed the fruits of the Spirit. We, we get this from the context. Early in the chapter, Paul characterizes the Galatians Christians as biting and devouring each other. You might be wondering why I bothered talking about these other two kinds of pieces if the fruit of the Spirit was about peace with others. And, and it's not because I needed some filler for my sermon, like a student trying to meet the word count for an essay deadline. Um, it's, it's because of how these pieces piece together. Um, Thomas Merton once said that we're not at peace with others because we are not at peace with ourselves. And we're not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. You may recall last summer when we as a church worked through the book of James that this point was also made. James said that what causes our quarrels among us is our desires that battle within us. We covet what we cannot get. And rather than asking God for it, we fight each other. Our discords between one another is a direct result of our internal discords. And the internal discord is so often because we are not content with God and our lives. Perhaps you desire a promotion at work and, and a colleague gets it instead. So you choose not to celebrate with your team their success. Or maybe you just really need an early night and your housemate is playing music too loudly. So you shout at them and slam the door. Or perhaps you desire control in your relationship and whenever your ways get challenged, you feel threatened and get defensive. These are all examples of how our desires can lead to discords. If we are to be more peaceful with each other, then we would be wise to look at ourselves first. But our lack of peace isn't always our fault. How are we to respond when someone has really done wrong to us? Well, scripture is clear. Later in Romans, Paul says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And later on, he also says, make every effort to do what leads to peace. We have to make every effort. I recognize that this is quite a challenge, but the importance of this cannot be understated. And that's because of who we are in Christ. Paul said in Colossians, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. We're one body, we're one, one church. And so it's really important that we behave that way. 
And we know how Paul earnestly seeks to make peace for the sake of the unity of the church. In his letter to Philemon, it's the shortest of all of Paul's letters. You can read it in a couple of minutes. He pleads to Philemon, a slave owner, to be reconciled with his runaway slave Onesimus. And he writes, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Paul's not a wealthy man, but he was willing to pay the price, potentially the price of Onesimus' freedom in order that they might be reconciled. But there's a greater example, and that's Jesus. Jesus paid the price for our freedom with his own precious blood. He chose to suffer shame, pain, and death on a cross so that we might have peace with God. Will we deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him? This is a challenging calling, but please don't be disheartened because it's not in our own strength that we can do any of this. The fruit of the Spirit is a gift that we receive through the Holy Spirit. And so let's just draw to God now in prayer and ask him for this peace. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who through him we are reconciled to you. We have that peace. And Lord, we know that you're on our side. And because you're on your side, we know that we are protected. You are our sovereign protector. And Lord, we, we recognize times when we worry and we, we allow ourselves to worry. Lord, strengthen us, help us to fight those thoughts of doubt and to really sense your peace. May we ask for it, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you would give it. And Lord, when it comes to Peace with others. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us as individuals, as a church, to be peacemakers, to make every effort to make peace. And, Lord, that you would bear fruit in our lives and in the lives of this church, that fruit of the Spirit, which is peace. Amen.